now when our brother Unime says that he's going to share with us a few thoughts. I always find that they're more than thoughts, they're richer than, th than mere thoughts, and there's more of them than a few. But that is both good, both of those things are good things. I uh, gave my message this evening that because I can't claim these to be anything more than that. Um, these are some reflections and I hope that in terms of the references to scripture, these things are axiomatic. We take these things as to be self-evidently true and inherently true and the scriptures minister to our hearts and minds in their own way. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you that you have brought us together this evening and that we might reflect upon one of the truly amazing institutions that you built into the creation and the creation of your children. We pray that you would be with us as we think about marriage this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I learned a phrase not that long ago. It's, called, it's this street cred. I, I learned what it means. And um, I, my wife and my son are here. Do I actually have any street cred when it comes to marriage? Well, I, I have to say, I don't think I have a lot. I think all of us are, are learning. But <clears throat> I will tell you that as a result of being married to um, Sindo Wari Zhang, also Phoebe, which is a name that my wife took on in about 1978, after she came to Canada, I have learned to um, respect this person. I, I can honestly say I have a deep respect for my wife's uh, personhood, her, her particular gifts, her intuition, and um, I have come to rely on them. It's almost as though, you know, we have two eyes in our heads, and then there's this other eye, and that's my wife's, and she can perceive, and then that, in terms of that kind of sight, I now know that there is that kind of sight, and I need to rely on it, and I learned to lean on it as part of life, so that I, I'm sure I would be rather lost without that third sight. Um, my wife has been a great comfort to me over the past nearly 35 years. I, we, ought, we sometimes reminisce ourselves about uh, walking around campus holding hands sometimes. And uh, does that take you back at all, some of you who are married? It's, uh, it's a remarkable time. It's a remarkable time. And, uh, and yet, you know, uh, what are the statistics on this institution? Well, in, in terms of the world, they're very bad now, as you, as you probably know. A um, little over half of all marriages fail, and uh, your marriage may be actually far better than mine in terms of its subjective and objective quality, uh, but you, you may well have children that you are concerned about. So you may find that some of these things you're familiar with and they perhaps don't apply to your marriage, but they may well apply to you, to your children, to the single people in the room and so on. And um, so keep that in mind as I, as I seek to share with you. Uh, Christian coupling. So I am saying that from the point of view of 2 Corinthians 6.14, which says, be not 
yoked with an unbeliever. I'm saying that's a given. That's, a, that's an absolute given. That's axiomatic. We, we don't contemplate that. But in terms of uh, two Christians uh, thinking about getting married, or a Christian thinking about getting married, uh, I have four S's here. The first one is selection. And, you know, if you were going out, and I've had, I remember buying my first car. You talk about lack of objectivity. We're talking here about a car, a mere vehicle. And the lack of objectivity that I exhibited in buying that car was appalling. You know why? Because I was too excited about buying my first car. And that's just a thing. And yet, uh, you know, you would think, if it's a thing, then the, your inherent ability to be objective about something that is a thing is given. Of course you'd be objective. You'd, you'd check every aspect out. But here we have an issue of the, the kind of ultimate human relationship <coughs> excuse me, on this earth, and we sort of say, well, because there's a lot of subjectivity to human relationships, I guess I will throw objectivity right out the window. That is not a good idea. There are certain things that I think in considering a prospective uh, mate, emotional, mental, and spiritual. The scripture verse there alludes to a concept, and that concept in 1 Corinthians 2.16 is the mind of Christ. Galatians 4 makes the same allusion to the mind of Christ. Does this person have basic emotional, mental, and spiritual maturity? This is a very basic question. Um, in terms of, of mental aspects, um, I think you would want a wise person, a person who combines knowing how to use intelligence with um, the, the scriptural principles. Wisdom, it seems to me, is a kind of moral intelligence. You don't need to find somebody with an IQ of 160, but you do need wisdom. And you can often detect whether people have basic Christian wisdom and basic emotional maturity. There is a concept in Chinese <clears throat> that um, is translated into English into two words that you never hear, but they are English words. And these are the two words filial piety, filial piety, and piety or piousness as it, uh, 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 you know, if it, as a dictionary word, has the, the meaning of, of a sense of devotion, and filial is the adjective of family, and the manner in which a person exhibits or fails to exhibit any filial piety, that, that is, respect and love toward their own parents, is very telling. If you are thinking about a possible future mate, and you notice that that person, whenever they're interacting with their mother, if it's a boy, doesn't show that mother respect and love, why would you necessarily think that that person will show his future wife respect and love? So filial piety is a good concept. The other aspect of piety, of course, we as Christians, that's a Chinese concept that goes back to Confucius, we as Christians should exhibit, if we are mature, piousness or devotion to God, 
to God. How basic, how very, very basic. And yet, is it there, objectively speaking? I think one can get a sense of that as to whether a young person is, uh, has a heart that is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not theoretically devoted, but really devoted, and also in the sense of, um, you know, it's not, we're not saying, oh, well, you know, don't worry about him. He goes to church once in a while. No, 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 no. Are they part of a church family and actively contributing to that church family? That's a sign of the right kind of piety. The, it almost sounds like a Catholic word, and maybe because it sounds like a Catholic word, we throw it right out the window. But, you know, proper devotion to the family of God, the things of God, is probably an indicator of whether someone loves the Lord. Probably. So, um, being objective and looking at some sort of really obvious characters, of, uh, characteristics of uh, basic emotional and mental and spiritual uh, maturity is, is a good starting point. Here's another one. And um, when my wife and I <clears throat> were talking about going on a honeymoon, and a honeymoon is kind of an imperfect example on the subject of starting off in life. I wanted to go to the Bahamas and we had no money. So my wife, sort of, my, my, my uh, fiance and, you know, then wife, sort of beat me down a bit on this, on this question of where we would have our honeymoon to good old PEI. Now that still meant getting on a plane and flying to PEI and spending time on a beach and riding a horse and renting a boat. I had a ball. We did have fun. And, it, and I think, I think my wife would be able to comment better. I think that is the only time in our married life that I ever paid credit card debt on the grounds that you only ever have one honeymoon. And no, we didn't have any money, but there's only one honeymoon, so we are going on a honeymoon. So, I mean, but the, the idea of, um, of a Western sort of idea of a honeymoon is, is a, maybe a microcosm or a... a, a not the greatest example of what I'm trying to convey, because what the scriptures interestingly talk about is that, you know, a, a new, a man, a Jewish man in Deuteronomy who just got married, you ain't going to war for a year. You ain't doing much for about a year, because you should spend and make an investment into bonding with your wife. The bonding is, bonding is a popular concept. Yeah, good idea. Getting off on the right foot is a, is a good thing. Um, this translation, I think, is King James. Cheer up your wife. I, I think that's rather unfortunate. Is she depressed? <laughs> <laughs> Some of the other translations say comfort. I, maybe there is no English word that works perfectly. But I think that... Um, as I say, getting off on the right foot together in a, in a, in a joyful and in an undistracted way, you know, is, is a very good idea. It may be very difficult if you're in the military and you get married and get sent to Afghanistan or something. That's, that's uh, problematic. Um, the, the solidification of the early bond, I think, is important. And also the fact that you have two things happening, bonding going on and adjustment going on.
On the subject of marriage, you know, it's, it's really, you know, uh, a case of fools rush in where angels fear to tread, and here I am standing in front of you. The, the um, adjustment part of it, I'm no psychologist or anything, but from what I understand, from what I've experienced, and what I've read, the nature of the marriage bond and of the love that is in the marriage bond, you yourself don't understand the depth of it. The, the nature of that bond is at a level that goes deep into your subconscious, and therefore, therefore, you end up in the adjustment, maybe a little bit more in the adjustment period, where if your mate disappoints you, it's kind of like huge, traumatic, like, what? Why does it strike you kind of hard when your mate disappoints you? I'll tell you why. It's because the, the, the level of the bond and the level of the love that you now have is deeper than you know. You're having a reaction from deep within yourself. It's almost as though she's so perfect. She is, she's just beyond. What? She did that? No, no, no. <laughs> It's, 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 there is this aspect of, of adjustment that takes place because, you know, it's a scary thing. You're, you're rushing into it, hopefully not rushing in, but you're entering into a thing that you yourself don't and can't fully understand until you've actually been in it for quite a while. Well, that's a scary prospect. But don't be surprised and give yourself some time, give yourself some space to allow this kind of adjustment to take place. Somebody mentioned to me the founder of an internet dating company the other day and how what a genius he was. I don't know. I, I am pers I'm, pers I, I'm out of date. I mean, I am really out of date here. But I'm appalled. I'm basically appalled. And I think that a lot of what's going on with internet dating is because so few people are in a, a church family where they have a half a chance of getting to know somebody. And um, the internet thing is always on the TV now. <clears throat> you see, I've got you figured out. I've got every aspect of your psyche measured. <laughs> Answer these 442 questions. We know you just, oh boy, we know you better than anybody could measure the combustion ratio of a car. So you then, you know, have been paired up, and then you say, oh, compatible, yeah, compatible, compatible, really, 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 really compatible. Well, I'm telling you, you're in for a disappointment. If you're going to be banking on somebody's, I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure there's some validity to it, but a Christian perspective, I believe, is more along the lines that synchronicity and synchronization and both of you putting your shoulder to the wheel is a goal. It doesn't start that way. It doesn't, it's not an automatic thing. We are compatible. Now we just boogie in our compatibility and don't have to think about growing. You have to grow. From the beginning of your marriage, you have to grow. Um, reading a book by Lephart and talking about the big difference between two points of view in this world. We're looking for comfort or we're looking for growth. Those are two very different things. 
The fourth one is a little bit, what have I done? The fourth one's a little bit scary. And it, it, perhaps in, in a sense, it's an example of a paradox in, the, in our Christian understanding of the, of the Bible, of the, of the scriptures. But um, as the Lord Jesus taught, human relationships are actually secondary to your relationship with him. We have to get our head around this. Part of, I think, the wisdom of this is that you don't think of committing suicide if your marriage has trouble. You, as it says in the video series, keep calm and stay married and keep going. We are going through a rough patch. It doesn't mean the end of the world. Everybody has some difficulties. One marriage book I read says one of the things that you learn from being married, maybe longer and longer, is how to fight. And what he meant by that was how to resolve conflicts between each other respectfully and directly. There is a kind of, I think, a tendency, men are more like this than women, I think, to, uh, there's an unwillingness to confront. This is an emotion, so a man sort of goes, whoa, heavy emotional issue. How can I avoid it? Um, this is not going to be easy, so, you know, ah, but <clears throat> it doesn't go away, funny thing, doesn't go away. So, you, after a while you learn, no, no point in hoping it's going to go away because it ain't. So, I need to learn to totally, perhaps, perhaps, totally disagree with my wife and come to a position on this matter. That's difficult to learn. It's difficult to learn, but as part of the challenge, I think, and you know, you, you aren't going to bank your entire life on this. You need to have this in perspective, that this is a difference of, of opinion or different view on something, and it is better to resolve it than to hope that it goes away, and to keep in perspective that my relationship with Christ is primary. I don't, I don't in here, I, I should never uh, engage in character assassination of my wife. That's highly inappropriate. That's very immature. And that means that um, in dealing respectfully with her, I'm, I know that, that do I respect the Lord Jesus Christ? Is my respect for him preeminent? Well, if it's preeminent, then this human relationship, which will exist for 60 years or whatever it lasts for, you know, out of all of eternity, here's 60 years together, we're going to get through this, we're going we're to work it out. This is, you know, the Lord, the, our relationship with the Lord Jesus is primary. And you get that sense from the writings of the Apostle Paul as well. Let's... Uh, Maybe pick up the pace a little bit. <clears throat> Expectations and attitudes. You know, in life in general, uh, how we think about a situation 
is, you know, feeling good about it, bad about it, is often uh, strongly affected by our expectations as to whether this situation should have ever possibly arisen. For example, um, what's an example? I went through this with my first job. I was sticking, because a job is like that. What do you expect? You get hired. What does, what does this job entail? It's, it's, a, it's employment. I get paid. I expect to be doing certain things. Now, if I end up having to do things that I don't like and were not part of the job description, I'm going to be unhappy. So, <clears throat> That's just an example of, you know, the mismatch of expectations in reality. So it's important, I think, to have realistic expectations in general, in life, including uh, marriage, and, and that affects what attitudes you bring into it and what attitudes you kind of work out in the process. I know of two marriages that, um, I know more than two, I know lots, but unfortunately, but I know of two marriages. In one case, uh, a young lady I knew in Newfoundland um, got her dream guy. As far as I know, they're still married. And um, not serving the Lord. And when, if you were to talk to her, you would find that the main thing that she is happy about is all the stuff that they have. I know of another marriage which ended in divorce because, in, as it happens, I'm sure it can be either way, right? Um, she wanted to define what they are and what they would become by what they have. He was a more mature Christian, a much more mature Christian. He was appalled at this. He did not consider that marriage, you know, is all about what you accumulate it's about what you are it's about growth in christ she left him so to from the get-go have a have kind of a sense of you know where are we on this is i think important leadership you know um in the um skip heitzig it's a german last name i guess uh, videos. I, I must say that uh, I thought, generally speaking, good. But there is is one um, thing that he talked about, and uh, that is the idea of hypostasis, which is the idea of a wife should be subject to her husband, and it is used in military Greek literature apparently in terms of, you know, the power, the differing power of the rank. So, if. Um, you are going to deal with this subject, this sometimes uncomfortable subject of a wife should be subject to her husband. I will tell you that this subject is moot. Do you know the meaning of that word, M-O-O-T? It is a moot point if there is no leadership. If there is no leadership in the home, the idea is moot of a, a, a wife should be subject to her husband. So. If you are in it, marriage, and you are kind of feeling as a man that maybe your wife is not as submissive to you as she ought to be, 
The first question you should ask yourself is, am I showing proper leadership in that realm? If I'm not, I don't get to bring up the issue. That would be my, my view of things on, this, on the subject of a woman should be um, submissive to her husband, and she should be, and here's why. If she's really going to buck him on everything, he will start to give up. A woman has a lot of power, and if she's going to use that power, which is predicted in the book of Genesis that she would do so, if she is going to continuously buck him on every single thing all the time, guess what he's going to do? Start to give up. <sighs> Whatever. Then she goes, oh. And it, goes, it keeps going. And you finally find that you have a man who has no leadership position in the home at all. And then the subject becomes moot in the other way. So, um, Jim Campbell, who married my wife and I, he liked to say the following. A marriage may fail, and it may not be the man's fault, but God will call the man to account as to why it failed. I think it's a good point. So, accountability in the realm of leadership and accountability you know, stand up and be counted. Is your wife behind you? Is she standing up to be counted? She's in your court. She's in your camp. She's on your side. Is she going to be counted with you? These are fundamental principles. Um, this is kind of maybe a bit um, uh, analytical. There is a, a word that is quite good. Uh, the tenor. That's a good word to keep in mind in your house, and one in which I'm a bit of a temperamental person. I can go into a semi-fit over the car keys. But so you've got to be careful about the tenor of your home. What is the emotional atmosphere in your home? Is it tense? Is it always grinding everybody's teeth? Everything is done by the book, you know, the guy's really proud of it, and everything is pretty much by the book, and everybody's grinding their teeth. You know, Colossians is a sister uh, book to Ephesians, I guess you could say, and there is a repeated concept that speaks to the issue of the tenor of the home. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. In other words, you know, don't drive your children crazy. If you are driving your children crazy, if you're really making them suffer emotionally, you've, this is not good. This is fundamentally flawed in terms of the tenor of a home. And it's in the swing of things and in the busyness of things, a man can lose sight of that completely. It's almost sometimes you just, you need to get the death look from the wife. What, you know, oh, this is not good. You're right. Things are, are way too tense and I'm getting the right message from my wife that uh, things have kind of escalated. You're right. We all need to calm down, especially me. Be careful about the tenor of your home and, and the emotional state of your children is an important part of that. Um, you know, we, in English we use the word pride in two quite different senses, I think, sometimes without even thinking about it. 
you are a human being person and your wife is a human being person and the scriptures put an extremely high value on your soul and extreme and and the fact that god loves your wife and loves you puts a very high value on you as a person and on your wife as a person and you need to to avoid um, the kind of pride which is connected to egotism if this is an ego trip this is not going to work uh, 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 the kind of pride that's related to ego trips is basically a disaster and will play itself out as a disaster on the other hand you know we can we can say for example if a child is on the winning soccer team that they can be proud of that they can and they should and it's good and we can be proud of that with him and when our wife or husband has a success we can be proud of that in the right way with them and that's an important thing to remember and to cultivate love you can read um, in first corinthians a lot of important words and principles in connection with love gentleness and forgiveness are very important men need to remember with regard to the tenor and the tone of their voice and so on to be gentle to, to, to sometimes you know ratchet things back and when there are failings to freely and fully forgive because keeping no record of wrongs is really important it would be a bad idea to say that you know six months ago you said that you oh whoa whoa i didn't know you were keeping track here that is just don't go there don't go into the, never think about the the character assassination don't be throwing stuff into people's faces from arguments that are actually completely resolved you thought it is better to um, maintain the principle of forgiveness one person always prayed and I pray that myself sometimes in public prayer let's be merciful to others keeping in mind that we ourselves are objects of mercy the Lord was very very harsh toward people who say um, I want you to forgive me but I don't forgive you what so forgiveness is extremely fundamental and um, the next two words that I have there for you are is the same word in two senses n meaning noun and v meaning verb and the word access as a verb actually came into being in the English language in my lifetime as a verb because of computers so <clears throat> what do I what am I thinking about access as a noun marriages need to be based on a good faith basis so if my wife said I have no reason to suspect you but I want to read every last email you've had for the last two years is that okay yes dear it is and can I come into your office with no notice I'm here typing the other day 
Hello. <laughs> right there, looking over my shoulder. Just, my door's always open, so. It, um, so the, the, the principle, the good faith principle of open access on the part of both parties without the presumption of guilt is a basic principle, I think, of marriage. The other one, access in the sense of a verb, is access in the sense of showing interest. Showing interest in other people. What other people? How about your wife, for starters? How about your children, for starters? What's going on in their lives? It can be a bit tricky because I find that when I have, you know, you know, we have four kids, and I find that when they go through some of the teen years, they don't really want to be asked anything. Um, it's kind of a, why do you want to know? <laughs> but <clears throat> I think it's, it's good to have an attitude of, you know, being interested in your family. It's funny how, you know, you say, what are you talking about? Of course we're interested in our family. Well, it's the of course things in life that often get overlooked. What's the old saying? The kids of the shoemaker have the, the worst shoes in town. Show, you know, a, a loving interest in the ones who are close to you, taking it for granted that, you know I love you. Yeah, you know I love you. Of course I love you. Well, true, but... Um, Engage in accessing a little bit gently or uh, however you can do it in a loving way. And uh, hopefully the message comes across that, you know, Dad's interested in my life. That's a very good message to get across. And um, I see I've left behind a couple of notes on the gentleness and forgiveness thing. One thing I've learned is that in having disagreements, and uh, we have had our disagreements, is that it is not uh, it is not the defining thing to be technically correct. I have a number of times, even at my wife's admission, in a disagreement, been correct, technically. Well. I'm an engineer, as far as I know, that's the only kind of correct that matters. <laughs> but if you have a problem and you do not resolve it lovingly, it actually can, you can actually lose sight in the emotional fracas of the whole thing. And it may well be established, okay, so this side was right, this side was wrong, and guess what? The whole thing was a disaster and should never have gone to that level of tension because uh, that, you know, the, the aspect of gentleness, if that's thrown out the window and you introduce bitterness and all and these sorts of things start to creep in, who was technically correct becomes totally unimportant. You need to be able to move on. And of all people who should be able to say, let's move on, you know, and not keep record of wrongs, and let's be gentle and forgiving toward each other, 
Of all people who should be able to do that, shouldn't it be Christians? I would hope so. In addition, we aren't banking everything in the universe on this. We have the joy of the Lord. If you have the joy of the Lord, access the joy of the Lord in this thing that you are having and let it take over. Let it take its proper role. Let it be active in your heart and life and try not to let things get to an inappropriate level of tension and difficulty. This is a really good verse. They say that Peter was married, and it says, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 6.14 the double negative, be not unequally yoked. Okay, so if I, if I use a double negative in a sentence, what does it mean? It turns into a positive. So Paul was very concerned about ministry. Paul was wanting people to go into marriage, I think, with, his, with their eyes open. But we should keep, we shouldn't, uh, I think, you know, in God's design from going back to creation, read 2 Corinthians 6 and say, wow, he's kind of down on marriage. No, there's a basic thing that you never do. You never marry an unbeliever. That's verse 14. Um, there are cautions about the entanglements that happen when you get married. Yes, believe me, yes. But it doesn't mean that you go against the principle of creation. And the, the yoking, the yoking is actually a really great thing. And I would close with these three points. Find it. You, you know, Christians are taught to prayerfully seek God's guidance in their lives, to, um, you know, seek the Lord's will. What is the Lord's will on this or that? Yes, good thing to do. Should always remember to do that. Now you're talking about two people. Isn't it? kind of appropriate to say, now, what should we do? What would the Lord have us do? To say that God can't indicate that to you, I think is quite faithless. God can show you. God can uh, lead you as a couple working together for his kingdom. Having determined what it is, what the Lord would have, it, have you to do, take it up. Put it on. Get going. Put your shoulder to the wheel. Do it joyfully and in the Lord. What did the Lord say about his yoke? Can anybody give me a phrase from Matthew 11? What did the Lord say about his yoke? Easy. Ah, working together can actually be fun. It can actually be a joy. Find it. Take it up. And then you find that you get grace, and you get grace jointly, and you share grace jointly, and you look each other in the eye, and you enjoy grace jointly. That's a great thing to share. A couple experiencing and sharing 
and seeing, as it were, the grace of God working in their lives and in their ministry. Ministry, what an idea. Use it. Here's a logical, I don't know if it's syllogistic, but it's pretty logical. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Two, two counts. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. How about the prayer of a righteous couple? Wow. Couple praying together? That should be good. My wife and I don't do that enough. In spite of the fact that when we were married, Jim Campbell said, you, 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 strengthening thing for your marriage? Get down on your knees together. Pray together. Important part of marriage. So that... As you see there at the end of this important verse, that your prayers be not hindered. There's a million and one things that are going to hinder you. Some of them are like things like, we got to change a dirty diaper right now. They can't do much about that. Nobody else is going to do it. Some of them are... I don't know, let's maybe go and, and uh, find entertainment instead of prioritizing things spiritually. Hindered. We don't want to be hindered. And I think that if you are sharing together in the grace of life, then you can make growth advancements. You grow together. You grow together and you grow together. And that is a, a wonderful thing and a good thing. So with those thoughts, I, I again, as I often put at the end of my messages, the word that means our Lord come. And that is good too because this isn't an eternal arrangement. This is an arrangement for time that um, we, I was going to say make the best of, but that, you know, it kind of sounds kind of negative. But it is a challenge, and you do need to. It requires some effort. This is sort of one of the things that perhaps people find shocking in the adjustment period, that there's some effort involved in being happily married. But I think that if we, are, if we are mature and we try to be mature and we think about scriptural principles, then in the joy of the Lord, we can expend that effort and making the best of it, it actually happens. You have the best. You have a great thing, a truly precious thing that the Lord can use, and that is a good marriage. Shall we pray? Father, you know each of our hearts. You know um, our marriages, and you know that those who are here who are single think about these things from time to time, and your Spirit can guide in all of these things. We pray that you would guide each person present here this evening to bless, to empower, and to... Um, to remind us through your word of what is truly important. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.